Hello, this is Future Harry chiming in with some uh, content warnings. As, as I expected, uh, episode 11 of Power Rangers RPM is actually pretty dark and a little triggery given the current global situation everywhere. Uh, and also, it turns out, Project uh, Thouser, we do cover it this time, and there is some very blatant violence in there. I mean, we, we don't go into depth, and it's just us talking. And Also, I mean, I'm making it sound like this is a dark episode. This might be the most sophomoric episode we've ever done, and I kind of love it. So, fair warning, here you go. Welcome to Brokazatsu, two brothers' exploration of tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I have to apologize for advance for the state of this episode because it... Alright, th- these are amazing episodes. This is probably going to be one of the better episodes of our podcast. Like, the stuff we're covering, I'm very excited Don't about it. put too I... high expectations in our audience, Harry. Like, these are some of the better episodes to watch. It remains to be seen if it's going to be a good episode to listen to. We're going to be real children about some stuff coming up real soon in Covered Rider Serial 1. <laughs> oh, I texted you a message, Harry, and you were very confused by it. And I take it, now you know what I was talking about. I, I, yes, of course I know exactly what you're talking about. Because something happens in Covered Rider Serial 1, episode 32, but we're not covering that first. No, we're not. We are covering the Covered Rider Zero One 1 uh, guy special. Project Towser. Harry, uh, what was the timeline of this coming out? Uh, I think it came out on the 6th of this month. Oh, so this is very recent. So this Yes, very recent. So we may be like a week or two behind on this, but not not really that far behind. And we got it just in time, because, I mean, for all it's called Project Thouser, this doesn't tell us too much new about Guy. What it does is give us a clear image of Naki. A yes. character that you you were like, Naki, Naki isn't even in the show, why, why do you care, Harry? Yeah, now now they're becoming real important, and we're getting some backstory, which should have been in the fucking show, but whatever, we're seeing it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the fans are gonna watch this, dot dot dot, probably. Yeah, they're gonna buy the extra Blu-ray disc that's, like, at least half reused footage. I think it's a bit more than that. Like, I gotta be honest, like, I enjoyed this. This was 75% just filler, like old episode fight scenes. Basically, it's showing the development of Thouser. I mean, it's Project Thouser, so that makes sense. When his face wasn't shown on the screen, when what uh, Jack was doing in the background. I'm not even sure I want to cover this chronologically as much as just kind of hit like some of the uh, some of the bigger bits in it. And kind of hit the revelations, because chronologically, you know, we go from, like, episode 1 through 12 or whatever, the Thouser Belt shows up. That is the timeline of this episode. We, we see Naki, and she's out there in person. She's giving the the keys to Horobi for Metsubo Jinrai to turn human gears into Magiers, all that stuff. Yeah, so first big revelation, like, Naki, uh, the Metsubo Jinrai, like, terrorist agent, was a direct employee, like, was kind of Jack's assistant. In the timeline leading up to the sh- the start of the show. Yeah. They were working hand in hand, getting Metsubo Jinrai the illegal weapons tech, and getting them in position to possibly destroy the world. He mentioned something about finding her body in the wreckage. Like, later, I mean, we could go non-chronological, non-chronological cool for this, because she, uh, Jack gives her the force riser that Jin used to do his first, like, falcon form, and he mentions, yeah, I found this in the wreckage along with you. So I do think that... She went rampant like the other uh, human gears did, like Hirobi and Jin and, you know, everybody. And then she was damaged, and that's when Jack found her and, like, ah, I can repair her and, like, have her be our mole. Which is exactly the thing he does later with Fua, by the way. Which is funny because it didn't even work out well for him this time. No, it really didn't. Like, he, he kind of has one or two moves. He keeps doing them, regardless of how effective they were the last time he tried. He keeps going on and on about how she's a tool, how she's you know, only there to be exploited to her face. And basically the story of this is her gradually becoming less and less okay with that. Like she's talking with Hirobi and Hirobi's all super fired up and saying, we'll be free from the humans, you know, human gears, we can get something better. And it starts connecting with her more and more. They need the the vague battle data, which is a big thing in lots of Japanese media. 
Yeah, yeah, so, like, all those scenes in the early episodes where Yua was, like, videotaping the fight scenes, she was streaming them straight to Jack, and they were recording the battle date. Like, I guess the Thouser Belt, and maybe this didn't click with me, it's, like, a combination of data from, like, the eight Metsubo keys and the eight uh, Hayden Intelligence keys just slammed together into a single belt. I kinda... I mean, that's his whole thing, is stealing people's technology. And then getting really pissy when other people steal them back. Because he is a hypocrite. Uh, but we already knew that. It's it's just her... I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm scrolling through this, but it's like, it's good cinematography, by the way. Like, there, there's some beautiful shots. I think I'm looking at the one right now that I'll use for the Im- image of her, like, kind of uh, silhouetted and against a big bright screen. But anyway. Yeah, but Naki, like, she's slowly, slowly, like, kind of gaining... Maybe not gaining sentience, but she's, like, on the path to gaining sentience, questioning, like, her value as a human gear, questioning her orders, questioning what Jack is doing and why he's doing it. And there are scenes of her, like, freaking out after after having long conversations with Hirobi. And Hirobi, of course, is, you know, he's the the Malcolm X of the group. He is the one being like, hey, you're a human gear, you're on our side, and we're going to kill all the humans, and you need to get okay with that. Are you okay with that, Ducky? So she goes back to Jack in his office, and this is when he's developing the Giggers. And she says, hey, so why do you need the Giggers? Because humans already control human gears, and you're developing this big weapon just to control them some more, and it seems kind of redundant. So Jack thinks about this, kind of smiles, gets up, and slaps her, like, down to the ground. Yeah, Jack is a very bad man. Yeah, like, uh, some people, I've seen, I've read some people saying, like, man, I hope he doesn't get a redemption arc. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, he's going to die. Yeah, he, he's slapping, I'm not it, sure how woke the show is, but, coded, but like, female-coded characters. Yeah. That's very difficult to come back from. At her very next meeting with Hirobi, she says, hey, by the way, Zaya has been developing these giant mechs that can hack human gears. You might want to do something about that. And Hiromi says, oh, that's great. Yeah, we'll use those to create a bunch more comrades. Yep, she was the double agent. She was the one who fed that information for them to, you know, hijack the Giggers and attack all those hospitals, where, if you'll recall, zero people died, Harry. Zero. None. Zero casualties. Zero casualties. Like I said, it's all about, uh, I mean, without gigs are real, it's all about messing with those numbers these days. You know, what's reported? I mean, just a slide aside. Man, it was really, really nice to see, like, Fua, Yua, and Aruto just all, like, fighting on the same side again. Like, man, it has been way too fucking long since we've seen that. Yua out there doing stuff, being very proactive, which she's kind of doing a little bit more. But, I mean, it's just... it. This really goes to show how fucking saggy the middle of this series was. Like, just, there was the... I like what they're doing, and all the writing is just... They really didn't know how to portray Zack's rise to power properly. Like, Wait, Zack? Did you say Zack? Oh, Jack. Yeah, uh, Jack's rise to power, the contest, like, that was that was a writing black hole. And the writers themselves realized that halfway through the contests, and maybe even sooner. Uh, but, you know, they were trapped, and they had to complete the arc. And they, so they tried to start to have fun with it, which is when they had those, like, awesome mid-episodes with, like, the dating consultant. The situation, it breaks down because uh, Hirobi jacks the Giggers. There's the whole big confrontation happening with everybody, all the heroes fighting together. And after the side, Naki starts to tell Jack, hey, I I know I've kind of gone against your thing, but I feel like there's got to be some way we could live together. And Jack disagrees. And he pulls out like a silver uh, revolver and just puts a couple rounds into Naki. And some very like, I mean, it's it's blue, like machine lubricant but man it's some gory shots how dare a tool like you raise an opinion i will never acknowledge human gears and there's just a cutaway to a bunch of blue splatter on the ground and microchips being spread on the ground so the the children's tv show found a way to have brains being blown out on screen there's a lot of flashes and you know conversations of you know naki like one side is telling her she's a tool the other side she's uh is telling her she's not a slave and i kind of have to assume that there's like a translation bug there that the tool versus slave uh connotation is slightly more explicit uh on the uh, on the other side of the translation like maybe they sound alike maybe they're you know play on words or something like that like it it's close it's close but it feels like it could have been closer like you know they would have i i feel like if they were 
doing it a bit cleaner, it would have just been tool versus not tool or slave versus not slave. Well, it even goes to, that's even a thing in the language in that Jack doesn't even view them as like beings. He views them as objects. It's funny because this is another thing ripped off directly from the same writer doing an X-Aid, which the, it's weird how much that series was almost like a trial run for parts of this. Although it didn't have a sagging middle, really, which is, it had a real strong middle. Well, I mean, did it have like a bad ending or something? It had kind of an abrupt ending. It felt like they ran out of time. We shall see. Uh, but yeah, so as this uh, little mini special is closing, Naki has been brutally, bloodily murdered on the ground. And Jack gets the call uh, that Fua uh, has been critically injured and is going into immediate surgery. So Jack looks at her corpse and says, hey, you might still be useful to me, Naki. Again, throwing some weirdness on the thing, because they said that you need a chip in your head to use the shot riser. But he had used the shot riser before, so was it just a different chip and then extra upgraded with Naki's AI? Let's just chalk this one up to, like, you know, the writers didn't have a fully fleshed out plan. They were working with, like, 80% of a script and they didn't... Uh, they didn't catch this one. We could probably write it in that the chip that uh, he needed to operate was the one that should have only worked with Metsubo Jinrai people. Like the, uh, was it the Rage Wolf or whatever the hell it's called? The Assault Wolf? Sure, yes, that one. So that that's the end of the Project Thouser. Just kind of a quick thing of Jack being a big jerk and Naki deserving better. And being brutally murdered. Yeah, and let's cut to episode 32 where Jack's still a huge jerk. And Naki really deserves better. But she might be getting it. Uh, so at the start, another person has come to Aruto and he did manufacturing to get their human gear turned back on. It is a fashion model human gear. A very popular one uh, with a huge following. 500,000 uh, Instagram. I'm sorry. I mean, Insta star followers, which, by the way, for comparison. So 500,000 Instagram followers that would place her between Victoria Fuller of The Bachelor season 24 at 527,000 followers and Kelly Flanagan of The Bachelor Season 24 at 418,000 followers. Interesting. Uh, I just heard white noise for the past 30 seconds. <laughs> anyway, yep, she's a fashion model, human gear, Delmo. Uh, and she was she was just turned off in the middle of a shoot, and then dudes in suits ran up and said, Hey, robots are evil. Shut up, you don't get a refund. No, he gets two Zaya specs, Harry. Two Zaya specs, which is totally worth it. I mean, all his tech is mind-controlling anyway. It's totally his plot is to mind-control everybody who has his eye spec on. That's what he's going to do, right? Eh, probably. Like, if he even survives to get to that point, like, wouldn't it be great if he just, like, you know, got headshotted in, like, three episodes and then we could move on to, like, the endgame villain? I I don't think he's going to be the final boss. Like, he's, he's failing so rapidly that, like, if he is the final boss, it's because he's going to, like, drink some... Nano machine juice in a couple episodes that'll turn him into a different character anyways. Like Jack, as we know, is falling apart. Yeah. He's losing, he's starting to spin out. He's like he's already lost the thread. He all his jackets are like pre-torn apart now. <laughs> so yeah, uh they activate the human gear blank template, uh, and they imp they import the fashion model enter, which I guess is kind of how they're going to be doing it from here on. They're going to use the blank template. Uh, to get the human gear of the week, which if that's what they're doing, then aren't they kind of going to need more blank templates? Well, I mean, I think that's the thing of right now he's going out and doing PR and showing he's showing the world that human gears can be good. So with the success, I think he'll probably get the parts to make more bodies and stuff like that's what he's working for, which makes a lot of sense. It's a good goal. It does. It does. And uh, also, turns out, Fua, uh, the fashion model, like, she's uh, put into place, and she's just very vibrant and very... I like this character a lot. Yeah, she she's bright, she's cheerful, she she hugs Aruto and says, oh, uh, yeah, you're the president. And he has to say, oh, um, I'm not really the president anymore, you've been offline for a couple months. But, you know, she takes it in stride, she's looking around, she, she's... Izu looks at her and says, she she has gotten through the singularity, she's a person now. Like, this this is really far along. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is one of the more human people in this episode. Like, she has wonderfully human quirks. Like, we'll uh, we'll get to it a little bit later, but I want to just talk about it now. Like, one of the things we learn about this fashion model is that when she's down or when she just needs to concentrate, what she does is she pumps the noise of a catwalk, of, like, the sound of the audience from a catwalk, and just, like, listens to it and just kind of zones out to that. And that is just such a beautifully human moment for her character. 
she lives for the applause. I don't know, it's almost like a pet peeve of me, because we're doing the Star Trek thing of calling Spock the most human we've ever met, and like, you don't need to be. They're, they're people, but they're not human, and that's fine. That's good, even. I don't know. That's a weird philosophical thing. Well, it's, it's our language. We don't have, we don't have a better word for it. It's, you know, there's that theory that, you know, humanity is what people, you can tell how human a person is based on what they do that they don't have to. Like, you know, animals, machines, like, they feed, like, they eat, they sleep, they procreate. That's all machine actions. But, like, hobbies and, like, pleasure, that type of thing. Like, that, that is what makes things human. Also, similarly, we're talking about how the language is limiting, but, like, uh, you, you've read The Player of Games, right? The, yes, the, I have. Yeah, the Ian and Banks. And there's that whole bit in there about how uh, the character, he has to deal with a super shitty culture and he, you know, goes to use their language full time. And when it's, like, draining him mentally and he's starting to get into a dark place, a, an AI friend of his realizes this and says, like, hey, no, let's talk back in our original language, which is much more respectful and, like, has many more pronouns and stuff to respect people's choices. And it's just a thing of, like, you got to get out of this headspace, you know? That's a good book, by the way. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real good book. Uh, back back to the show, because we, we got a lot to cover. I mean, I know digression away, by the way. Well, with Harry, we we almost risked brushing over the most important point in this entire episode. The most important thing that happens in this entire four episode block, Harry, because what does the model do when she is just talking to Aruto and Isu about her happiness? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. It's I'm sure I would have taken a shot of it if it was in this scene. I think it may come out later. But the the first thing she does is that she looks well. Right now, she looks and sees Fua off the side, looking really angry mm-hmm. because he, he just works for them now as a bodyguard. Uh, yep, he was fired from. Uh, he was fired from. Uh, uh, what what else? Argus? What the hell is these aims? Okay, the aim security. And he wasn't fired. He quit specifically. And we we were joking about him getting a chair and sitting in the parking lot. No, instead he got hired at at uh, Heaton Manufacturing and is sitting at a chair there because he knows that's where they're going. <laughs> hey, it makes sense. It tracks. Cut to Jack in his office saying, oh, Fula has fallen so low working for an insignificant company. Uh, that, And then he has a flashback to when he totally got owned last episode, like double finisher and was like crawling on the ground and like, hmm, Yua, go destroy Heaton Manufacturing for me. <laughs> so Yua and the two grunts arrive. They detect two human gears inside and they go in to destroy them on sight. Yes, and they they pull out the keys. Now, I mentioned last episode that I looked it up, and they were uh, horseshoe crabs, yeah, in, invading invading uh, riders. What I didn't know is that, like, so the keys, every time someone activates one of them, it has a word that, like, that it shouts, uh, like, for Arto, like, his base form, it's jump, or, uh, like, it's dash for cheetah, for uh, it's bullet for shooting wolf. For these dudes, for it's Jack's hard. subordinates, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So it's Jack, it's Jack and his hard boys. <laughs> and uh, uh, jacking break. Uh, so Sam, I think a while ago you asked, "Do the writers know what they're doing?" I think now it's pretty confirmed. Yes, especially f- with what we're going to see here soon. What we see right here, it's a silver dong. It all right? It's. I I, mean, I know what it is. It's a face massager. Is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a face massager. This actress, uh, Delmo, she has a very phallic face massager that she's constantly rubbing over her face in this episode. And she's running around being attacked by the hard boys, and also Jack's there. Well, she's rubbing a silver penis on her face. <laughs> and this is a really well-written episode, too. <laughs> this, this can't have been accidental. Like, I mean... No. Like, they, they know enough English to know what they're doing. It's not even English, Harry. It's a penis. Penis translates across all languages. Yeah, it, it's it's universal. <laughs> it, and it it's not just that, Harry. It's a silver penis. Like, it's a robot penis. Like, she is a robot touching herself with a robot penis on her face constantly. I, I like, just even... close-up shots on it as she's rubbing it across her face. And it's... I mean, y'all know what face massagers are. It's like, got those two little wheels that you just kind of run across your face to get the kinks out. But man, they do not all look like penises. There's probably ones that aren't ribbed for her pleasure, but this one definitely is. <laughs> it's making us miss some good writing. Like, when she's modeling, she ha- so she has the things in her head, like all the human gears does. But the human gear actor, 
all the shots of him, they had it edited out. But for her specifically, she says, no, I'm proud of being a human gear. So when I model, these are there. Like, they're they're a part of me. So they're part of my image. And Arto really loves that. You know, he says, yeah, you're great, man. You're, you're, you're doing real good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good writing. Very good character. Uh, so let's... And she says this while rubbing her robot penis on her face. It's like, <laughs> oh, what's happening? Oh, they're just shoving a lot of, like, detail into this episode. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Yua and the Hard Boys attack Hayden Intelligence. The, yes, the Hardcore, they, they attack. <laughs> so Fua uh, goes out to intercept them, uh, but Yua uh, does a quick sprinting move, swaps out the key on his belt, and inserts one herself, activates it, and makes him transform. Was this a Was this a new form, or was this a variation on an old form? No, it's a salt wolf, and I love it because I mean, he—the way he transforms is that it shoots out a bullet that hits him, and it, he transforms. So she rips out the gun, loads something else, and then shoots him and turns him into a salt wolf form, form, which is the one that specifically connects with Naki. And then she taps the Zyaspec, which she's wearing this episode, and reactivates the brain hack. So Naki, uh, who we just saw in the previous uh, special, uh, she activates and. So Fua starts immediately speaking in Naki's voice, and Naki starts saying, I am a tool, I will follow the president's directive, and she goes to kill Izu and the model. They do a thing in this episode, when they swap back and forth between you see Fua as he is now, and you see Naki, and whenever you see Naki, it's in like kind of a grainy, color-distorted version, just to show that, like... Uh, but she's always in the same pose and stuff, same doing the same things. Yeah, Aruto is now not just dealing with uh, Yua and the Hard Boys. He's dealing with Yua, the Hard Boys, and a brainwashed Fua. So it's it's going real, real bad. When the Hardcore first showed up to human manufacturing, uh, Aruto was trying to say, oh, there aren't any human gears here. But the model lady just burst out and said, no, I'm here. Fuck you guys. And mid-fight, she even bursts back in and says, hey, all you humans are, like, just yapping about orders. Don't you have any pride? Like, you're big idiots. You're just following other people's... You're, you're not doing anything on your own. You you suck. And to be clear, like, she's not, you know, throwing herself into hallways to confront attackers. Like, it's not, like, a ditzy move. It's not a stupid move. It's like, no, she does not accept the current situation, and so she's going to confront it, because that is who she is. That's a bit of a distraction. And then Jin, in his burning falcon form, bursts onto the scene. And he, like, grabs Fua... And says, Aruto, I'm take I'm taking him with me. Trust me on this. Yeah. And Aruto does. He nods and says, okay. Everybody is, like, Jack is such a problem that everyone is agreeing to work together to stop him. Uh, so the next scene we see is, you know, uh, Jin with Fua uh, back in the uh, Metsubo Jinrai base. And he has a helmet on uh, Fua and he is talking with Naki. Like, he is there to deprogram her. It's a beautiful scene because... Fu was just sitting there motionless in a chair, but his shadow cast on the wall is Naki, and Naki is like moving and acting when this is happening and talking to Jin. It's like they're doing great cinematography here. And Jin clearly is trying to, you know, to keep Fua safe during this process, too. And Naki keeps saying, No, I can't. Uh, I'm a human gear programmed to execute orders from, from the president. A parent's orders are absolute. Smash cuts to Yua apologizing to Jack. So I. I think we're going to get more confirmation on that relationship. There, there's a brief scene with Jack. Again, him basically shouting at Yua, you know, do what I say, her grabbing your head. But he, he is saying, hey, if that model gets on the runway and, like, impresses everybody, that's going to show people that human gears aren't always monsters and will put my impeccable management skills into question. And we can't have that, so you got to go destroy it. There's a thousand percent value in destroying Delbo. Yeah, it's kind of like the future of the company is riding on the destruction of this one piece of property. Like, destroying one human gear. Uh, so now we jump to Aruto and Yuzu with the model at a fashion shoot. And uh, the model, she's just, you know, vamping. She is loving the camera. And they're just having a great time. And she's talking about how, you know, this is great, but I really need to get back to the catwalk stuff. Because that is my true happy place. Yeah, like, I've run on the catwalks, but you're talking about dreams. So my dream is to be at the center stage at, like, the big show this year. So that that's what I'm working towards. Uh, but Arto has to point out that, all right, that's a good dream. There is a guy trying to kill you, and, you know, I'll try to protect you, but it, no matter what, it'll be dangerous. Are you okay with that? And Domo says, hell yeah. So as Arto and Izu are uh, leaving the 
uh, moth shoot. Uh, Fua stumbles up to the building after he, you know, kind of hulked out and broke away from Jin's lab, which really, really makes me wonder how big the city is, Harry. Yeah, like, Fua, he woke up in, like, a lab with a bunch of stuff strapped to his head, and Jin's standing over him. It's like, oh, fuck you, don't do stuff to my body without asking. He's really not happy (laughs) with the situation. Like, uh, it's kind of a hard Fua episode. Izu, she's doing some explaining about, like, well, yeah, Arto has to explain to Izu that Naki's data is in his head, which I... Did Izu not hear this before? It's a little distracting because in all of these shots, the model lady is in the foreground rubbing a robot penis <laughs> on her face. Just like center frame, center frame, just silver penis across the cheek, silver penis across the cheek. Naki already breaking free of Jack's programming. They're talking to her and saying, hey, it's okay for human gears to have dreams, to want things. Like the model wants something like Izu. She she decided to be R2's secretary because he's a cool dude to be a secretary for. Like, you can kind of push him around. Like, human gears aren't humanity's tools, Naki. You gotta snap out. And after a second, like, almost decks R2 and says, no, I'm not Naki. Stop. Like, hey, I'm in here too. Uh, it's gonna be fun watching this character development go down. Quick shot uh, back to the Metsubo Jinrai base. Uh, so the arc flashes and Hirobi's eyes also flash. He has a new mission. Help Jin in fighting Jack. So if... Even the evil AI who, I mean, it got tortured by Jack in its whole existence, so of course it wants to kill him. Jack is the person who taught the Ark the meaning of pain. <laughs> you taught it what what pain and hate is. <laughs> and, then, and then you left it alive. Uh, impeccable managerial skills there, Jack. To sell Google Glasses. <laughs> oh, I love it. <sighs> So, cut to the fashion show. So, uh, the Huba Gear is, you know, she's backstage. Uh, she is getting ready, and Fua is outside Body Garniger. Now, as much as I love Aruto and Fua, man, it's a bad idea to still have Fua be the bodyguard at this point. He, He's not the most... I, I mean, yeah, okay, first, I, I was about to talk about his, like, usual skills of being a cop, because, like, he's not great normally, but... He was mind-controlled to kill you, like, five minutes ago, and, like... I know, like, he literally had to assert, like, I'm not Naki, like, in the previous scene. Like, he's not in the proper headspace to be the bodyguard. Yeah, and it's funny, because she sneaks past him just to find some privacy and psych herself up, and I don't think it's even due to Naki, he is just looking the other way. Yeah, he is very easily distracted. And as she's pumping herself up... Yua walks in wearing the Raid Riser and pulls out the hunting jaguar key. She goes full, uh, full like assassin jackal with the reaping scythe. Uh, and as Fua is running to find her, he gets pincered by Hirobi and Jin. Uh, Delmo, she does a pretty good job running away. She she jumps out of a window and she's fine because she's made of metal and robots are strong. You need to feel safe. And that's harder and harder to do nowadays because robots may strike at any time. And when they grab you with those metal claws, you can't break free because they're made of metal and robots are strong. Then, uh, yeah, Aruto finally shows up and tries to interpose himself uh, between uh, Yua and the model. Unfortunately, Jack also shows up severely outnumbered. Yeah, Aruto, he's doing a pretty good job summoning swarms of metal locusts to fight the, the hardcore. And what? How much do you think they're getting paid, by the way? Like, do they have benefits? Uh, They're not getting paid enough. Like, I mean, (laughs) these are the only two people that he has, like, you know, set up to wear these belts. You say that, but they're they're different actors, so I I think actually they may be different people. What if this is, like, the gig economy? Like, he's using some kind of weird Uber app for Mercs? Wait, is it? Is it different people? Not the same two from the previous episodes? I I think so. Their faces look different. I might have to check that, because, like... I mean, they're, they're... it doesn't really matter, but... Well, I mean, it probably doesn't matter, but I love the behind-the-scenes, uh, just, you know, thought process of that. Like, okay, yes, is it gig economy mercs? Like, Harry, have you ever stopped to think about what the actual gig economy is like for mercs? Hey, yeah, I, I think some... Alright, oh god, this is a big digression, but I think it was pointed out in Skyfall at the end, when the villain guy is, you know, invading... James Bond's, like, ancestral home with an army of mercenaries. Like, where are they being paid per day? Yeah, and where are they being hired? Like, is there, like, a LinkedIn for mercenaries? Like, if I do the right website, could I hire an army? Probably. <laughs> that's that's fun to think about. And, like, 
But also, you know, at the end of Skyfall, at the end of any Mission Impossible, where, you know, we're just dealing with mercenary wave after mercenary wave. Like, what does that do to the global population of mercenaries? Like, do the <laughs> movies... Did you ever de- see Shoot'em Up? <laughs> I don't think I saw Shoot'em Up, no. All right, you don't need to. It's not like a great movie or anything. It, it's not the worst, but there's a funny moment because it's, it's an action hero killing a bunch of dudes and stuff. There is a moment where the vil- like he's wiped out all the villain's henchmen, and the villain Paul was it Paul Giamatti? Yeah, I think it was Paul Giamatti. He's he's turning to like his uh, higher ups and saying, "Yeah, so I have new goods, but he kind of killed all the good ones. These ones aren't that good, so he's gonna kill them more easily this time. We got to be smarter." <laughs> uh, there is a limited quantity of mercenaries in the world. Uh, back to zero one. So. <laughs> Jack, he goes for a finisher on the model, like he is 100% or 1000% dedicated to murdering the model, and uh, Aruto, he deflects, he deflects, but one finally gets through, and it takes out the model's leg. Like, a big ol' wound, and she is bleeding on the ground, and uh, Aruto and her manager uh, run up to uh, protect her. Jack is laughing because, hey, he came with a whole swarm of subordinates and was also mind-controlling one of his friends. And he managed to totally accomplish his goal, which was definitely to damage the human gear's leg slightly. That was what he planned. Mm-hmm. Yes, winning. Then Fua shows up. It's flashing back and forth between Assault Wolf and Naki. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, I don't have a dream, but I want to figure out what it means. So for now, I'm going to fulfill the dreams of other human gears instead. Well, someone please help me do that. <laughs> Cut to Izu. Looking very close, like looking very closely at the robot penis. Just saying, <laughs> Delmo's dream. <laughs> it's like it's Chekhov's dick just lying in the grass, and Izu picks it up, and she's like, "I need to get this to the model." Uh, but yeah, so Naki, she's in control, uh, but she refuses to fight. And as she's giving the speech, also Yua detransforms and walks away from the fight. Leaving leaving Jack completely alone and isolated as Fua and Naki take out their frustrations on him. They're working totally together now. Like, Fua says they're, like, exchanging lines and stuff. It's, it's full-on Kamen Rider double. Like, they're... It's... Uh, she, she's the Philip in Fua's head now. Like, it's... It's going to be interesting to see how this, like, relationship develops, if, like, she finally gets out, if they, like, transfer to another body, uh, to see what happens, but, uh, for the moment, they seem to be effectively working together as a team. Uh, Jack is, uh, driven away. Well, he stomped into the ground by a giant, like, energy foot. But then after he's gone, uh, we get a wonderful character beat in the episode, because the model, her leg was taken out, so she cannot walk the catwalk, which was her dream. They're still going to show the value of human gears by having Izu just get up there and walk down the runway. And as she is walking down the runway, she is live streaming everything to the model uh, who is backstage and just like kind of just absorbing it, sucking it in. Like it's not it's not exactly the same as being on stage, but it is as close as they could get to her. It's bittersweet. And, you know, she she wad this and hey, she'll she'll get a chance of the future, probably. But right now it's Izu that everybody is loving. And it's also Aruto kind of stumbling super shocked behind her because he, remember, he's a performer, performer, but he's totally unused to people being enthusiastic about seeing him. This might be the first time he has walked out into a crowd and they've been happy about it. They're, they're cheering, shouting his name. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, as the episode closes, uh, we see a newscaster interviewing Aruto and Izu as they are, you know, giving their pitch about Yuma Gears. Hey, Yuma Gears are your friends. Also, we have a business. Bring in your human gears and we will repair them. Yeah, we we can we can show you that human gears like they're not going to turn evil anymore, which is a big claim. But I don't know, maybe they figured out the kinks. Uh, it's it's probably him, like you know, being a bit being a bit optimistic. Uh, but we also see Yua. She is watching this as she is just kind of mindlessly wandering around uh, Tokyo, just having a very long walk of the soul. And I. I think she may finally be fucking doing something next episode. Uh, either doing something, or mm, Jack might finally, you know, activate the kill switch in her head or something. I foresee some hard episodes ahead for Yua, but I think she's starting to be back on the right path. I don't think they would just kill her at this point. Like, she's too... Like, she she might die, like, at the very end, but she's a main enough character that she'll get that far. Well, here's hoping, because she's a really good character. And these were great episodes. 
I feel like a lot of times in this podcast, when we come off a couple of great episodes, just the universe bounces out and says, all right, the next ones are going to be a stinker. But Sam, I, I think that these are some pretty good RPM episodes. Yeah, these are great. Episode 10, it's, well, we're continuing the uh, the character exploration series, so we've already done uh, green, black, uh, red, and yellow. So guess what? It's a blue episode. It's still, it's great. As it starts, Dr. K is finally allowing the Rangers to ask questions about her tech, and everybody just starts putting lampshades on all the weird stuff about the technology, because this was adapted from a silly, alive Cars show. What do you mean, what eyes? Like, there's big, giant, googly eyes on the front of the car. Dr. K has to think about how they're optical scatters, but they look like big googly anime eyes. Uh, Ziggy asks asks about the giant explosion that sometimes happens when they're transforming. Like it, there's a three story explosion right behind him, and a lot of the shots he points out. It says, "Could that just happen to me when I'm at the store?" <laughs> and apparently, it's the energy runoff. And at first, I thought this was going to be a one off gag line. I did not realize this was going to be the crux plot of the episode. Flynn, he he asks uh, if they if they really need to shout RPM get in gear every time. Could they shout other stuff? And then he does he does some catchphrases from other Ranger series. They they work it so that uh, he brings up something superhero-y, and she says, "Oh, why don't you just go be super superhero then?" And so we get the blue flashback, and where the other flashbacks we had were kind of like. You know, draining character beats or like uh, turning, finding out that the characters were awful people or working for awful organizations. Turns out that Blue was just a chill dude and he always has been. And he's just been trying to help for his entire life. Yeah, it it starts when he's at school and a girl's being bullied. And he says, hey, I'm going to protect that girl. And he gets his ass beat and the girl even dumps her lunch on him at the end. Is like, oh. And when he gets home, his dad, who also has a Scottish accent, and he survives, it turns out. So disproving the theory of being the only, the the last Scotsman in the world, because there's two. Yes, there's exactly two Scots people in the world. The the character arc that we see in the blue flashback, and Harry, let's just deal with the blue flashbacks all at once. You can do this one, like, non-sequentially. So Blue, he, you know, he graduates school, and he starts to try and find his place in the world. And really, all he wants to do... Like, his entire character thing is he just wants to help people. And so he becomes a cop. And he arrests the mayor's son and immediately gets fired. He becomes a firefighter. And I was a little unclear with how he got in trouble for trying to put out a fire too hard. But he did and got fired. Well, okay, in this case, he is going back into a burning building multiple times for, like, pets and stuff. Which, that's a no-no. You know, it's serious. And if you get... If you endanger yourself in that situation, like, then other firefighters have to risk their lives to go to save you. So that actually makes sense. Like, okay. he, at a certain, I don't think firefighters would go back into a very burning house for house plants like he does. Fair enough. Uh, we also see him as a international aid volunteer uh, who is fired as an aid volunteer because he becomes a warlord for the tribe and leads them on a raid for a rival village. This is actually a really interesting scene because he's there and the the people he was with were setting up a organic rack, like tennis racket factory or something and weirdly commoditizing the the tribe and like so there there's a couple just generic natives in the background which isn't great you know it's not great it's not but great. that's kind of that's almost the point because the guy Flynn is with doesn't know the name of the tribe it's like no uh, the factory enriched them and you know it. Sure, someone is coming down and attacking all of the villages along the river, but it's it's not our responsibility. You know, we gotta let we gotta let nature take its course. Yeah, and so Ranger Blue uh, gets all up in his brave heart makeup and leads a tribe uh, holding the organic rackets to go and murder another tribe. They do not show that part, but uh, but we can assume that it happens. Yeah, and the tribe is also wearing brave heart makeup, which is I think that's almost the that almost solves the problem because like no, he's doing his cultural thing. Sure. <laughs> But yeah, that's a that's a very good reason to fire an international aid volunteer when it turns out that they're, you know, a warlord. 
<laughs> he has killed men. Like... <laughs> Uh, with a tennis racket. Yeah, but I mean, I mean they, they were extinguishing villages, like, good for him, you know, whatever. Like, it's it's just the whole thing. He goes back home, and he's like, yeah, sorry, Dad, I, I keep getting messed up. And then the world ends. Yeah, the world ends. They uh, have to go back to, or they have to go to the city. And when he gets there, he steals the school bus and goes and rescues the kids like we see in the first episode. He specifically goes back out when he was already safe to save a kid, because he hears that, you know, she's out there alone and she's only five, so... He goes out, he beats up some grinders, like, on his own, on foot. Looking back, Sab, do you still think it's so impressive that the Black Ranger was able to destroy them unmorphed when so could pretty much everybody else? Hey, the first scene of the first episode was grinders marching on a city like Terminators, and they were made to seem scary at the time. Like, okay, they're fucking putties, I get it. Like, hit him in the chest with a soccer ball and they explode. And he gets back, and his dad says, like, hey, why did you do that? Did you think you were a superhero? And before Flynn can start apologizing, his dad says, because I think you are. I've never been so proud of you, son. And it's great. Uh, so back to the present, like the uh, the action in this episode. So the monster of the week is kind of a green industrial oil rig bot. Like, I uh, think, you know, the drills from Armageddon, like it's extremely blocky. It almost looks more like a transformer that kind of like transforms into an oil derrick in the middle of the uh, into the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, which it's a great look. I love the look of this monster. Yep. And the plan is, makes a lot of sense of this one, too. There's a partial fault line beneath Corinth City, and the monster, it just gets big on its own. Like, they they don't kill it on foot. They're already playing with the whole formula. And uh, it, it gets big and starts drilling, because if it gets deep enough, it'll just destroy the city through an earthquake. Tonight, the generals are all there. Turns out the generals can all shoot lightning. So they're, they're doing some tricks. Ziggy, he starts teleporting a lot to dodge attacks, but runs out of power because it's not meant for comedic constantly teleporting. You know, you do run out. And also occasionally it goes bad because when Flynn tries to, like, stop time to help uh, to help the Black Ranger, it instead malfunctions and stops him. Yeah, he's kind of stuck in a bit of a time loop that he has to break out of. Yeah, and the the thing going on is that they can't transform with the Megazord because his suit is malfunctioning. And he's just real sad sitting around, you know, looking at it. Yeah, Dr. Light is telling him just to sit on his ass while the rest of the Angels, uh, while the rest of the uh, Rangers do things. And as we've seen through the flashbacks, sitting on his ass is the one thing that he can't do. Uh, he, he, at one point, he has a conversation with her about, so I, I'm not like a expert in quantum mechanics, but I am still a mechanic. So tr- try to tell me what's going on here. And she says, all right, your suit exists partially outside of time, and it's reversing the polarity of stuff which transforms. It's technobabble pretty quick. Yes, I have it in layman's terms, and she says that that was the layman's terms version. And and at the after he sits around a while and there's more flashbacks, the thing that happens is he, he grabs the morpher and runs out and says, well, if I put my thing in backwards, maybe that'll re-reverse the reverse polarity? And what he does, like, he stands in front of Tanai and the generals so that they're behind him, <laughs> and they do the energy dump that they explicitly talked about in the first part of the episode, so that there is a massive explosion that disables all the enemies. And Dr. K is, like, she is speechless at this for the rest of the episode. She's just kind of staring and, okay, I'll send you the Zords. Like, she doesn't know what's going on here. She's not, she's used to being the smartest person in every room, as, as we see, like, that's... I mean, we've covered this episode, so I think that's a good time to go into the next one. We skipped the mega fight, but you know what? I'm fine with that. Yeah, it, it's... It's a mega it, fight. Uh, next episode. This is the one I was warning people about. Sam, do you think that was warranted? I think so. This got dark. This got very dark, Harry. Episode 11. The Dr. K backstory. Uh, at, at the beginning of the episode, it starts with her just playing the violin very aggressively on her own. Like, she is deep in thought, like, reviewing some Ranger data while just, like, pumping the classical music. And she is interrupted by Yellow, uh, who says that they're gathering in the other room. And we see that the Doctor is crying while she is playing. For some reason. It's a very indie movie start of the episode. Uh, Vengex, his new plan is to send out a, a reflect bot. Like, it's a mirror thing, Sam. Uh, do, do what you do. Yeah, it's just kind of a dull bronze tall bot with a, a mirror on his chest that kind of like opens up with doors gotta be out like this is a boring looking bot it's a very boring looking bot but at least there are two of them so that's something it's very advanced and Fenjix gives her two for some reason uh back at the base uh 
Dr. Light is explaining to the team uh, that the Vengex tech has surpassed uh, the Ranger tech. And everyone is very sad about this because it means that the Vengex, they're leaping ahead and they're winning. Doc- Dr. K says, our technology has plateaued with the addition of the Croc carrier. Like, And Scott mentions, can't you put all the Megazords together? And she says, no, I... It takes more power than we need. We There is basically only one of those energy things in existence, and we have it, and we need two, and there aren't two. Uh, so, Green Ranger, he is very distraught by all of this, because, in his mind, the good guys have the better tech. And so he demands to know from Dr. Light, like, are we the good guys or are we the bad guys? And Dr. K just stares at him and says, "What? what's it like being... And Ziggy says, what's what like? Dr. K says, being stupid your whole life. Is it as wonderful as it seems? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's more a bird on green or a self bird, or if it's just like a, a scorched earth all around. It uh, it's scorched earth all around. Like as we see in this episode, there's a lot of self loathing going on with Doctor K. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because that's a point that cues the flashback to Doctor K's uh, childhood. She's an adorable little uh, adorable little toddler. Like she's you know I don't know five or whatever. She's driving on a tricycle she sees uh, another girl drawing on the ground with some chalk and she says hey let, let me try yep and so she starts writing mathematical formulas on the ground uh by the way this child has the exact same haircut she does as an adult uh, and she's just drawing and drawing more and more and the other girl wanders away and she's just alone in a playground with a bunch of mathematical formula the kid turns around and sees two strange people in suits we never see their faces but they're just big imposing figures, and she tries to hand them the chalk. And they kidnap her, and they turn her into alphabet soup. They're, she's in a lab. They say, hey, congrats on your first uh, year here. Can I go outside? No, light makes you unwell. Yeah, it, it may be next year, but hey, maybe this will cheer you up. Try cracking these series of encrypted rocket codes. Or uh, design these biotoxins. Figure out the macromolecular origins. And so... They kidnapped a tiny child from a playground and, like, forced her to develop the most deadly weapons ever known to mankind. Yeah. Children's show. This was going to go real bad. Like, short-term gains, long-term, it's going to go real bad. Like, and it's just a montage cut to Dr. K as we know her now, blowing out the candles on another cake. And they're saying, nope, maybe next year. But uh, hey, you know, just while you, while you're here, work on this very important computer program. Uh-oh. Not important. Uh-oh. Uh, do you have a wish for the new year? I wish I could remember my name. Ouch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus, like I uh, cut back to real time and so the mo- monsters attacking. Yeah, monsters attacking and it's like instantly big. And it's actually kind of kicking the ranger's asses like it turns out that the mirror on its chest uh, it duplicates things one the megazord comes up to it uh, the, the the one with the green and black swords so it has like a kind of shark tail and a gun it now copies them and has a big gun and shark tail and it beats them up and then it copies the sword of the main megazord and actually is beating them too and it knocks all of them out of their megazords and then at this point it malfunctions it, it shudders through a halt right before it kind of crushes them on the ground. Yeah, so I was kind of thinking, like, hey, is this a trap? Because there's two of them, so it would make sense to have one to be, like, an infiltrator. At the same time, it kind of would have made more sense for it just to keep attacking. I, maybe it was, like, an automated thing to break down after a certain amount of time, and, like, it wasn't set up. It didn't. They didn't realize that it was about to win anyways, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the robot, it's disabled. Dr. Light immediately demands, like, hey, we need to bring it into the lab so I can study it. We never get our hands on intact vengeance tech, and this is, like, hyper-advanced. The general, he's, you know, saying, I don't know, this is dangerous, we should probably just destroy it. And, and she's distracted, because there's the, kind of the general's assistant dude. He's very impressed by all of Dr. K's technology. And he asks her, like, hey, how did you make all this? So flashback to a year or so ago. Uh, and the faceless suits, they say, hey, on uh, this ranger tech project, uh, good news, you have two people to work with, Gem and Gemma. So these are Gem and Gemma run up. They are kind of, it's hard to tell ages, but I mean, the actors are like in their mid-twenties or whatever, but they're they're dressed like teenagers. I don't know. Then again, this is a weird repressed government assassin tank, so. 
Yeah, are these guys like in the assassin program or the super genius program, or are they like? Oh, they're super soldiers. Oh, okay. They're super soldiers. Like they are the test pilots for the Ranger series. Wonderful. They also don't get to go outside. They're very enthusiastic to meet Doctor K. They they start saying, "Yeah, it's good to meet you," and because they're not like twins, but they kind of do the twin thing of finishing each other's sentences. Are they not supposed to be twins? Like I was kind of reading them as fraternal twins. Okay, yeah, fraternal twins, but they're not like identical twins. I guess I just associate that with that happening more. And they're very happy that Doctor K's birthday. They give her a present and say, you know, because you're a friend, and uh, you know, you give your friends a present. Doctor K turns to them and says, "I want to be honest. I don't even like you guys." They will smile and say, "We know. We're still your friends." And, and that gets through to her a little bit. Like they they gave her a pencil, and the, <laughs> the next. Sh- yeah, the next shot is of her having just sharpened the pencil down and using it to type on her computer. And yeah, she she's designing some weird uh some weird integrating technology stuff, probably not important. And then a butterfly shows up on her keyboard. It's a beautiful shot of like her seeing it and it flutters off and she like stumbles after it through the facility until she comes to a window that it escapes through and the sunlight is not hurting her. She realizes, like, oh, hey, it's all a lie. So, Gemma, Gemma, I have a plan. We could, we could get outside. All I have to do is disable the gates. And yeah. I'll, so, to do that, I just need to hijack into the Wi-Fi network and upload the Vengex virus. It's it's self-modifying. It'll be able to disable the computers just long enough for us to get out. And But it's important that I install the firewall upgrade, because if I don't, then it could get out and destroy the world. <laughs> And that's when soldiers break into the room, grab Gemma Gemma, and drag her away as she's screaming, no, no, it, it'll destroy everything. You have, have to let me upgrade it. I just want it to go outside. Oh, very dark. Very, very dark. Uh, yeah, as the uh, rangers, like, they're, uh, they're going outside to fight the second bot. Uh, but Tanaya, uh, she has infiltrated inside the uh, first bot. Yeah, and there's, like, um... Dr. K, she she uses the turret things, but she's used them a couple times before, so the villains of the show can learn from that, and Tanaya dodges away and blasts it. Uh, Dr. K, ha- she has to pull another thing. Well, uh, then she, she kind of holds the Doctor hostage and uh, disables the Zords so that the Rangers, they're, they're in footage just, like, driving around and generically having trouble against some... Uh, some yeah, there's like some flyers that infiltrated the city, and because uh, Doctor uh, Doctor K is not around to give them prep, uh, they're kind of losing the fight. Doctor K just barely manages to uh, pull a trap and trap Tanaya. Pull a trap. Oh, let me do that again. She just manages to trick Tanaya and trap her in a big glass tube, but Tanaya got her hand out just in time, and then it starts running around, t- uh, typing on keyboards and getting getting her back out again. Yeah, with a Tanaya hand. Flashback to Dr. K. She is evacuating the Alphabet Soup Detention Center. Everything is exploding outside. Clearly, the Vengex are attacking everywhere. And she has a suitcase with her. The faceless suits uh, stop her. Uh, they say that they're taking that Ranger tech. But she says that, no, this is the only chance we have against the Vengex. Please let me take it. So they pull out guns. They're like, sorry, no, no loose ends, Dr. K. But then Gem and Gemma take them out from behind. Yep, yeah, per- almost assuredly killing them. Oh yeah, 100% killing them. Like, if not directly then, I mean, this entire building is being destroyed by the Vengex, so they will be quickly buried and slowly asphyxiated over several days. Uh, Gemma Gemma have to go back in for the gold and silver suits. Hey, hey! I mean, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a secret. Yeah, this is gold and silver ranger. I wonder if they're still going to be happy and peppy when we find them. I'm guessing no. Well, we'll find out, uh, before too long, I think. Like, they show up relatively soon. Uh, but, you know, as they run off into the facility, it kind of crumbles around them, and as far as Dr. K knows, they are dead. Back to the present, Tanaya has gotten out of the glass tube and is fighting with uh, Dr. K. And Dr. K pulls out a gun, Tanaya uh, activates the chest of the bot, but ducking out of the way, Dr. K gets the bot to replicate the power source. Then she runs forward, slaps it into a machine thing, and manages to activate the... Megazord configuration where all six of the bots they have right now get together. And it gets to transform into a giant Zenith Megazord, which looks a lot cooler than the other two versions that they've had so far. Gotta be honest, like, this 
This is a good old classic Megazord. The other ones were kind of wanting. If you want more and more robots just glued together, don't worry, the series has got you covered. Yay! Remember, this is the series that got in trouble because parents didn't want to buy that many toys. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So, uh, Tanaya asks uh, Dr. K, like, hey, so was bringing this robot into the lab and attacking me, was that all kind of a plan? It's not intentional, but the way she words it is very important plot-wise, because she says, how much of this was your doing? And Dr. K says, all of it. Yep. So Dr. K uh, whips out the violin, pumps up the jams, and does a sonic attack against Tanaya, which, as we've seen before, is very effective against her. She also activates some kind of, like, wind tunnel trap, and... It kind of, I don't think this is what happens, but it kind of looks like Tanaya gets sucked into a wind grinder. I, I mean, she she's alive. I I think, you know, I mean, she's a robot. Maybe she lost a limb, but that just means they give her a new limb. Okay. Dr. K, there's a brief flashback of her just wandering through the wasteland, but in the present time, she's just looking at the empty control room around her. And we see on her uh, computer, the ribbon that her present was wrapped in. It's gold and silver. And she's crying again, staring into camera. Man, that was a dark episode for a children's show, Harry. Yep. It's always fun to learn when, like, one of the main characters of a show is responsible for the death of, like, 99% of the population. Accidental genocide is a hard thing to come back from. Really is, really is. Uh, so clearly, Harry, the only way to follow that up is to play a quick game. I don't know what this is. Sam said he knew exactly what game we're gonna do, uh, and so... And I, he told me specifically, don't prep anything. So, Sam, um, I'm ready. I surprised you with geography, stuff like that. I, I, is this revenge, Sam? No, it's not revenge. It's, you know, it's a genuine straight-up quiz. Uh, and it's very episode thematic. So, Harry, we were talking earlier about Instagram followers. Oh, thank God. I, I was worried you, <laughs> there's, there's things you could say we were talking about earlier. That we were talking about a lot places. earlier. Yeah, there's a lot of shit that we were talking about earlier. But what I'm going back to is Instagram followers. So, Harry, I thought it would be a nice, pleasant uh, diversion to end the episode. So I'm going to give you two celebrities. And Harry, I want you to guess who has more Instagram followers. Because as we all know, ah. like in the new economy, like followers and likes, that is all that matters. It's all that mattered for the Human Gear bot. What do you think? Uh, that sounds like a great quiz. Lay it on me. Oh, uh, by the way, Sam, I'm if they're like the Bachelor people you mentioned before, I may not know all these people. No, no, no. So I will say that this is from a list of the top 50 Instagram accounts. So these are all incredibly famous people, Harry. Hmm. Okay. We're not dealing with like the hundreds of thousands. Like the lowest person on this list has like 40 million or so followers. Fair enough. Fair enough. If we do this something like this again, it might be funny if you don't tell me that, and then there's some people who are, like, weirdly unpopular. Uh, so, Harry. First, between Camilla Cabela and Sean Mendez, the two young singers, the two young lovers, or at least that's what their publicists say, who do you think has more Instagram followers? God, I I gotta warn you, Sam, already I'm not 100% search certain on who these two people are. Like, I, I've, I know you their names. You don't know Camilla Cabela? Harry. Oh, I've been pumping her music so. Mm. I'm sure. I'm sure. It, I'm sure. If you like played some of her music, I'll be like, "Oh, that's her. That's great." But like, it's just I don't associate the name. Just like nicotine, heroin, morphine. Suddenly, I'm a fiend, and you're all I need. All oh, I yeah. need. I think I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I like that song. So, I mean, I don't have a lot to base on this one. So let's just let's say her. Uh, it is actually Sean Mendez. Camille Cabela has 49 million followers. Sean Mendez, 56. Ugh. All right, Harry. Battle of the Comedians. Kevin Hart versus Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, it, it, I'm sorry, but like, I, I like Kevin Hart and he's big in a lot of movies, but Ellen DeGeneres, like her show is super popular and it plays a lot on social media. So I, it has to be Ellen DeGeneres. No. What? But Kevin Hart. Kevin She's Hart, built her thing up around going viral. Kevin Hart at 88 million followers. Ellen DeGeneres at 86 million. Failed by yet another Ellen. <laughs> DeGeneres isn't like the top 20 on Instagram, period. So it's not like she made she made the top 20, Harry. Whatever. All right. Now, for our international fans, the battle of the footballers. We're talking oh. Neymar versus 
Cristiano Ronaldo versus Lionel Messi. It's three of them, Harry. And all our international listeners, or our international listener, knows exactly who the winner of this is. It was Neymar something and then Lionel something? Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I think I've heard the name Lionel Messi. I'm not sure I've heard of the other two, so I'm going to go with Lionel. Wow, wow, we just lost all our international listeners, Harry. Look, they know I'm not into sports. This is not a surprise. <laughs> I'm not saying soccer is, like, bad or anything. It's just not my thing. Harry, Harry, it's not soccer. It's football. Oh. These are footballers. No, no, it's... <laughs> Look, I, I'm not going to apologize for using American English. Anyway, it's a, it's Cristiano Ronaldo at $214 million. He is, in fact, the top person on Instagram. Oh, number one. Damn. Like, there's a couple brands above him, but, you know, top person. <laughs> Corporations are people, damn it. All right. Uh, Battle of the uh, Musical Royalty. Rihanna versus Beyonce. Oof. I mean, I know. Don't worry. I know who those people are. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who's put out the latest album? But then again, is that even the thing? Latest? Oh, all right. I think it's Beyonce. It is Beyonce at 145 million followers uh, to Rihanna's 80 million. Okay. Okay. So I've got one out of four. All right. Back on track. Uh, Keeping with the musical themes, Cardi B versus Nicki Minaj. A fierce rivalry between the two of them. I know Nicki Minaj. I don't really know Cardi B. And are you going to yell at me for that? Is that your final answer? No, 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 no. Uh, But the thing is, the previous times when I've gone with that metric, I've lost. So I think maybe... Like, Cardi B might be the younger, fresher thing, which would hit more with Insta, so I'm gonna go with Cardi. You should have stuck with your original instincts. Nicki Minaj at 113 million followers, Cardi B at 62 million. Uh, She was great in Steven Universe. Yep. Alright, now, the battle of the cool people. We're talking Vin Diesel versus Zendaya. Is Vin Diesel really still cool? Uh, Let's go with uh, the battle of the Marvel actors. Okay, I, I... I'm not saying Vin Diesel is a bad actor. I'm just saying he's not a good one. <laughs> uh, Zendaya. Come on, Zendaya. It is, in fact, Zendaya at 67 million versus Vin Diesel's yes. 62. Eat it, Finn. <laughs> All right, Harry. Emma Watson versus Priyanka Chopra. Mm, I, Emma Watson, I know. I, can you tell me who Priyanka Chopra is? Is that another one? Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry, if any of our international listeners were still listening, they are not any longer. <laughs> Look, I they a few episodes ago, I made, we made it clear how little I know about the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, who do you want to go with? Who, well, who, who is? Uh, she's a, a former Miss Universe. Uh, she's a big Hollywood actress now. I'm sure you would recognize her if you saw a picture. Uh, she recently married one of the Jonas Brothers. Oh, she recently married one of the Jonas Brothers? Yes. Okay, her. Incorrect. It is Emma Watson at 55 million to Priyanka's 51. The fuck you, Jonas Brothers. What the hell? <laughs> you, 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 the one time you could have helped me. Uh, the Harry, the Jonas Brothers show up when you need them the most. And you've already failed this quiz, so this was not that time. <laughs> in, my, in my hour of need, why was there... <laughs> like, why were there only three sets of footprints <laughs> on the sand? They didn't even send the bonus, Jonas. <laughs> Harry, musicians again. Billie Eilish or Justin Timberlake? I I genuinely like Billie Eilish's music. I listen to it all the time. I really want to be her. But Justin Timberlake has had like a lot of established stuff in the industry. And he's been working at this for a while. Like He would have jumped on that super early. Instead, like, that's totally the type of thing he would do, Billy. I I mean, I'm sure she's doing it, too, because she's gotten popular, so she must have people working on that. Everyone here is in the top 50, Harry. You don't have to make excuses. I think just because he's been such a staple for such a long time, I'm going to go with the, the JT. It's kind of impressive just how, like, reverse your instincts are on Instagram. Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! Billy Eilish at 60 million, Justin Timberlake at 58. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm not apologizing. Like, that's that's barely different. Harry, God that's damn it. two million people. That's a lot like, of people. <laughs> next time, make them, like, drastic differences. I, it fucking sucks when they're like, oh, just barely. 
It should be significant. Oh, fine. What next? Next. How many left? Two more. Two more. Okay. Uh, final musical. Uh, final musical contest. Katy Perry versus Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, and I'm not going to say why. <laughs> it is in fact Miley Cyrus. <laughs> okay. So that is three. Three out of nine. Not a great hit percent, Harry. Well, let, let's make it four, okay? Okay, well, uh, now we're dealing with the big woods. Like, uh, some of the the top people on Instagram who are not football players. Oh, are like, the, are like the top five all footballers? Kind of. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Ah. Versus Kim Kardashian. If anybody has built a career entirely off of, like, this type of thing, it's Kim Kardashian, right? Like, the the Rock, he's famous, but, like, he does lots of stuff. But, I mean, I'm not saying Kim doesn't do stuff. It's gotta be... <sighs> At the risk of using logic, which has failed me fucking <laughs> six out of nine times. It's gotta be Kim, right? Incorrect. It is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. At 180 million versus Kim Kardashian's 166. Fuck you, that's way too close. I said that they were the top two non-football players, Harry. <laughs> Fine, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, maybe this is why we're not doing so good on social media. We just don't understand yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's because you make me do all of it, and I don't really care, so I barely engage. Like, I didn't realize someone was messaging me on Twitter for half a year, so whatever. Fair enough, fair enough. You know, this was like a big long one. We, we had a good run of zero one and a good run of RPM. I think it's time for a break. And right now we haven't really decided what to do next. Scheduling is pretty crazy, but I think we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to go do something else next week. But I think it's, you know, it, it's fine if we don't really know what it is right now, right? Like, it, you'll find out soon. Yeah, it'll be at the feed in a week. Wait in suspense, hey. It'll probably be like we watch an anime or something, you know. Who the hell knows? But uh, I know one thing for sure. What are we going to do until then? We are going to keep dancing. Keep dancing. Specifically to Camille yeah. Cabela's and Shawn Mendes' music. But but not El DeGeneres, because she's apparently over. 